mindfulness mode. We all have a deep thriving to connect and to express. And frankly, it's not that hard. Hey, Mindful Tribe, Bruce here. I'm making a change to my show, and I'm really excited about this. Starting on Monday, just in three days, I'm going to be doing an episode every Monday, which is just me. It's going to be my personal thoughts, my suggestions, my my inside information on mindfulness and hypnosis. And I am asking you for help because I'd love you to reach out to me me and and uh, tell me about the topics you would like me to share the topics you would like me to talk about send me an email bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and if your topic is chosen i'm going to send you a t-shirt or a mindfulness mode mug so keep that in mind be thinking about what topics you'd like me to talk about on the monday show and i look forward to hearing from you and so on that note sit back relax and enjoy today's episode mindful tribe we're always here to have mindful conversations we're here to talk about all kinds of different aspects of mindfulness including habits and routines including Oh, all sorts of insights into what mindfulness really means to you. Well, I have the author of the book here with me today, the author of the book called Mindful Conversation. And I'm very excited to have a chance after reading his book to now talk with the author. And the author is Peter Gibb. Peter, are you in mindfulness mode today? Am I in mindfulness mode? Yes and no, to tell you the honest truth. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. And I'm always, uh, you know, it's not an on-off thing for it in my mind, but I'm always working on it. I'm always, it's a, it's a central tenet of my life to be in mindfulness mode. And I think I'm, I'm pretty aware of what I mean by that and, and, and what, uh, what, what things help me to be in mindfulness mode. Um, you know, just, just before Bruce, you and I got got connected, I had a little, uh, I always start, I start every, every day with music. That's, that's one of my ways of getting into mindfulness mode. And after my music, I was, I often, uh, a, a routine that I have that helps me to stay in mindfulness mode is what I think of as the mindful pause. Just, just taking a moment. It could be, you know, 10 seconds or 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be a long, long period, but just taking a moment to stop whatever it is I'm doing and, and just try to just tune in. And so what, I, what happened this morning, I thought was quite um, uh, instructive in that I, I stopped, I could have gone from one, you know, one task to the, to the next one, but I stopped for just, you know, just a moment and I just stood there and looked out my window. Well, I've looked out this window for 18 years. <laughs> I've been living here, you know, so I've seen it a few times before. <clears throat> um, but because I just stopped and said, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not here to do anything, but just to be in this moment. And I was, I happened to be looking at this shrub and on the shrub, I, I just sort of tuned into a leaf. Well, you know, big deal. You know, I've seen these leaves again, gobs of times, but this leaf suddenly struck me. I began looking at how it was pointed at the end and what a lovely and graceful 
tip this was. And all of a sudden, I just felt filled with life and with wonder about myself, about this leaf, about this plant, and so on. And so it became, from being a sort of habitual moment of just going from A to B, it became a very mindful moment and, and set me up, I think, to be more mindful at that time and hopefully throughout this day and, and so on. But so, so to answer your question, am I on mindfulness mode? Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Um, yeah, I feel good. I feel at peace. Um, so I'm in mindfulness mode. Yes. <laughs> well, Peter, I feel good too. And I'm so glad to have you on the show. I want to share a bit more about you with Mindful Tribe. And, and here it is. Peter Gibb grew up as an introvert who yearned to be an extrovert. And then he learned over the years that good communication has little to do with introversion and extroversion. Well, he's spoken and consulted on mindful conversation in 18 countries. Get that. 18 different countries and three languages over a 30-year period. And he is the author, like I mentioned, of this book, Mindful Conversation, The Magic of Connection. And he's also written a book called King of Doubt, which deals with his own struggles with self-doubt and the imposter syndrome. And Peter lives in Oregon. So, Peter, it's so great to have you with us. You've already told us a little bit about what mindfulness means to you. I just have to say, I enjoyed the book and how approachable it is. Your book has lots of diagrams. It has smiles in it. Each chapter, in fact, of your book ends with a standard format. Notes from the journey next steps, and smile. So let's talk about that. How important is humor in your life, Peter? Is it an, an element of mindfulness to you? Oh, amen. Yes. Um, I love humor. I mean, humor, humor makes me feel alive. And humor is a way of connecting. You know, it's also humor is very personal. Some what may be humorous to me may not be to you and vice versa. I find that when I am most alive, my sense of humor it just it just it just shows up you know i i don't know when it's going to show up i don't do anything to say come on now it's you know come on humor it's it's i'm not a big joke teller to, to tell you the truth that's a whole different aspect you know i'm not a stand-up comedian or anything like that <clears throat> but i think life is filled with absurdities conversation is filled with absurd things happen and just the joy of seeing that and not passing judgment on it, but just noticing it um, is a great, I, I love it. And I love it when other people's sense of humor shows up and when mine shows up and then we can play on that stage. So yeah, it's a big part of mindfulness for me. Well, Peter, you have little cartoons at the end of each chapter, kind of like little images. Did you create those? Did you draw those or did someone else? I, I, I conceived them and, and drew them, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've been a cartoonist. Um, <clears throat> not a professional cartoonist, but I have drawn cartoons and loved it um, for, for many years. And so I thought, you know, too many books are too serious, if you, if you ask me, you know, and I wanted this book to be fun. And I do think that the subject, albeit very serious, is also humorous. And so <clears throat> my, the cartoons try to make a little bit, I mean, I write a chapter that is, you know, for the most part serious, and then I just kind of want to make fun of it, whatever the point was, and, and show it from a different point of view. So, yeah, I created them, had a good time creating them, and I hope that they bring some enjoyment to, to readers. 
Yeah, well, they certainly did to me. Well, you uh, mentioned that it's good to consider conversations as an iceberg. Can you explain what you mean by that? Oh, sure. So an iceberg, typically, well, the Titanic is, of course, the big iceberg story. And and what what is what is so interesting about it is when you're looking at an iceberg, you're looking at about 10% of what is really there. The rest of it is buried underneath. And so often in conversation, that's also the truth. We're talking about whatever, you know, or um, where you, where, where, what'd you have for breakfast this morning or something. But underneath conversation is often a whole range of stuff, some of which is spoken, a lot of which perhaps is not spoken. And I think of converse, I think of the, there being levels of conversation. And regrettably, I think most people stay at what I think of as the surface level. And that is typically the facts. What are you doing today? Where were you yesterday? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and th- that's nothing wrong with facts. They're, they're important and, and they help to ground us. But under that is a whole lot more that is typically not or often not explored. Um, and so I think of, of the top level, that what you can see is the facts. The second level are the feelings and the thoughts underneath whatever it is we're talking about. And we always have all of us feelings going on. Some of us choose to express them more often, some less, but they're there, whether they're spoken or not, they're there. And the thoughts that cause those feelings are often also often not spoken, but they're there. So the second level is facts and feelings. And under that even is another level that I call personal meaning. And personal meaning is the story that you're telling yourself about whatever, you know, and, and, you know, I might be talking about um, my, my, uh, let's say I'm talking about myself as a father and and the struggle that I'm having with uh, my child. And the, the deeper story may be, you know, I don't know if I'm equipped to be a parent or, you know, stuff, whatever the story is that I'm telling myself. Rare, often, not told, more often, way more often than not, not expressed. But yet to really listen, you need to be listening on all of those levels and listening to what's not said as well as what is said and, and just, uh, you know, being there for that. Yeah, and speaking of listening, you also talk about three levels of listening and how they can uh, really make a difference to having an effective conversation. Can you share that with us? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I think that that it kind of relates to what I just said. Yeah, I think so, too. Go from, you know, a fairly superficial listening, hey, you know, what's going on kind of stuff. And and that's that can be fine for, for a time. But I think that we all baked into our DNA is a yearning to really connect with other people and to really express our full selves. And in order to do that, we have to listen at a deeper level. So I talk about going from this rather superficial listening or non-listening at all. I mean, there. I've, let me back up one minute because I don't know if we should call non-listening a kind of listening, but but uh, but it is. But that's what I see a lot. People who simply they're just waiting to take over the conversation. You know, I'm not interested in the least what you're saying. I want to tell you my story and I don't care what you say. I'm going to try to tell a bigger story or a, 
better joke or a whatever. So that's that's really non-listening. You're you're just not, you know, it's what I call a grabbing response. I just try to grab the conversation and take it over and move it to my agenda. Then in the middle is a, is a, is a little better than that. I listen, you know, and and maybe I'll interrupt or something, but but still I am I have some interest in in what you're saying, and and from time to time I'll ask a question or or something, and then there's a whole another level which is what I call deep listening, and that's really listening to understand who are you, what's going on for you, where can we where can we connect, what's authentic about me, what's authentic about you. And how can we really share that? And that's the path to discovery, to exploration, to connection, and to a much deeper kind of um, expression of, of who you are in a more satisfying and fulfilling conversation. And that's where I'm trying to, to guide people if, you know, if that's what you want. And some people don't want that, that's fine. But if that is what you want, there are explicit ways of getting there and and tools that one can use and the intention that, that can get you there. Well, I know I certainly want that. And I think our life becomes richer when we discover how to have more effective conversations and more meaningful conversations. I want to ask you what effect the pandemic has, do you think, on our conversations and our ability to converse with each other and to connect and relate to each other? Hmm. Well, that's that's a really interesting question and a, a huge topic, and it has affected our, you know, the potential and our ability in in so many ways. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think one one has to start off with. We can't. We we're, we're so rarely face to face. I mean, that's 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 the ideal way to be, and yet right now, no, no, we just can't do that. I don't care who you are maybe we're living next door to each other. We just can't do that. So it's taken away a huge stage that enables this, that, that makes it possible. Um, and I think, I think even before the pandemic, we were suffering from a, a, a different kind of pandemic, one of, of, of isolation and polarization already. <laughs> and yeah. the pandemic has just multiplied that in many ways that that said and that that's sort of the i think the, the the fairly obvious answer but i i think there are interestingly enough some positive effects of it um i don't know if they outweigh the negative effects by a long shot but nevertheless i think that because of the pandemic and because we can't meet the way we might like to meet um for, well, first of all we're we're meeting virtually so yeah. that just puts a, it's a different way of talking and we have to talk in a different way to be successful virtually whereas if we were face to face there are a lot of clues that i can get that i could pick up that i i don't i can't get virtually um and i but i think that an, another because it takes we have to struggle to make that connection maybe we value it in some ways we value it a little bit more we can't just meet and chat you know let's have a cup of coffee together so we have, we arrange all this stuff and we are set up at times and our zoom connections and our whatsapp or whatever however whatever platform you're using um but and we know we have a certain amount of time for this and i think that can focus us a bit more 
and say, you know, I want to make the most of this conversation. And so let's 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 be a little more daring with it. Let's be allow ourselves to be more vulnerable with it. And I think that does. Ha I know it happened for me in some ways. So again, I think most most of the pan. I mean, we'll all be happy when the pandemic when we're done. We can get back to having a cup of coffee together. But I do think there are some positive um, uh, some positive things that have happened as a result of that. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that for sure. Well, one of the things that you said you wanted to get across in the book is the courage that it requires. And when you spoke of vulnerability, of course, courage is connected to that. Let's talk about courage because you said you hope this book will encourage and assist you to live, listen, and talk more courageously. So let's talk about that courage that we need to get together so that we can have more mindful conversations. Courage is a big one. Um, and I think, I often ask myself, why don't we have more mindful conversations? I mean, if we, all, if we sort of want it, well, well, what's stopping you? And I think what's stopping a lot of people, frankly, is fear. I am afraid that if I show you who I really am, you're going to say, ah, oh, get out of here, you know. Um, I don't want that. And we all have vulnerability, all of us. I don't care who you are, where you sit. We're all vulnerable. I know I, I struggled for years and years and wrote about it in King of Doubt with what I call imposter syndrome. Think, right. You know, I, I've had a relatively successful career, but I always thought, oh, my God, if they discover who I really am, you know, they're going to fire me because I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm making it up. <laughs> and and even though I had, you know, a number of jobs that I did really well in, I was convinced it was just a matter of time before they, whoever they were, was going to realize that I, whoever I am, don't, I don't, I'm just, you know, I'm struggling here like, like all of us. So it takes courage to say, okay, I am a little bit nervous or fearful or blocked by something, but you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk and I'm going to listen and I'm going to share who I am and I hope you like it, but if you don't, I'll survive. You know, I'd, I'd rather share who I am and have you say, well, you know what, that he's just not my kind of guy. That's all right. Okay, that, that happens. But I, my, my, my experience is when I share who I really am, I far more often connect and people do like me than if I'm playing some sort of a game. But it takes a lot of courage sort of to believe that and to put yourself out there. Um, so I think that's, that's yeah. Well, didn't you work for a university? Weren't you the one of the uh, administrators at a university? No, I was never an administrator. I taught in the university. Okay. But I've never been an administrator. And what did you teach? Well, I've taught a number of things. Um, I've taught history. I've taught um, art appreciation. I've taught languages. Those are, those are the three primary things that I've, that I've taught. 
in both university level and also in adult education and that kind of thing. And I taught. Right. I'm so happy to be already working with a number of listeners as a mindfulness life coach and hypnotist. You might have heard of someone who's lost weight or quit smoking with the help of hypnosis. As a licensed hypnotist, I work with anyone struggling with an issue. Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's smoking or weight loss. Well, I've lost 35 pounds myself and kept it off using hypnosis. And now I'm offering a beta package. And I'm really excited about this beta launch because it means big savings for you. And it means I get the opportunity to work with people like you. And I have openings for only three people. So you need to act now. If you want to lose weight, I've created a video to help you called How to Lose Weight for Good. Watch the short video and then book a quick call with me and you can jump right in now and you'll get 50% off the price of the package. So go to mindfulnessmode.com slash weight loss. And if you just want to book a time and talk directly to me, go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk. So I look forward to connecting with you. Now back to the show. And so how did the imposter syndrome play a role then when you were teaching? Did you constantly think to yourself, oh, I don't deserve to be doing this. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I'm not qualified. Did you did you have a lot of those thoughts as a as a university uh, prof? A lot of the time I did. Yes. Um, I, I, <laughs> you know, thinking about it right now, I think it in, in some ways it worked in my favor because I did a lot of preparation because I was, I wanted to be you know, ready for whatever, whatever they might ask. Um, but it held me back. How it held me back was being, I think less authentic because if you, if, if I'm always worried about how I'm going to come across, then I have to be very guarded about, you know, how, what I express. And as I worked through that and got over I'm not 100% over, but but still majorly over that um, that imposter syndrome. I was able to be much more authentic, and not just to talk about the subject matter, or, you know, whatever. Here are my five main points, but to be real in the conversation, and that that really helped me enormously as a teacher. Because I think the first, as a teacher, regardless of what you're teaching, the first thing we need to do is to connect with our students or whoever's in the audience or whatever it is that's going on. And I think as long as I was so concerned about who I was and so concerned about being discovered, oh my God, if you realize who, who you got here, this is all over, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's I think, the, the essence of how it held me back. What are the other two languages that you speak and that you taught in? Spanish and German. Ah, I see. Did you did you speak those languages as a child, or did you learn them as an adult? I learned them both as an adult. Um, I didn't speak any foreign languages as a child. I was in the foreign service for a while uh, in Peru, and that's where I learned my Spanish. And um, I studied French actually in school, which I I can I can muddle along in, but French is by far my weakest language. So I learned Spanish, and and I you know I learned it in Peru. And that's the way to learn a learn, learn a language if you possibly can. I just, you know, I just said I'm. That's that's what I'm going to speak. Period. And then I was also in the air force in the U.S. Air Force in Germany, and uh, I was bound and determined 
to um, learn German. And so as soon as I got there, I started learning German. And speaking of imposter syndrome, it really played into, um, into that because I was the communications officer on, on the base where I was. And a lot of that was technical communications, which I, is not my strong suit by a long shot. Um, and I was very worried <laughs> they were realize that I don't know a lot about how this equipment works. You know, I, my job was to manage it and, and manage the people. But fortunately, because if I had to be repairing stuff, it would have been a disaster. But because I learned German, I was one of the very, very few GIs who spoke German. People sort of held me kind of in awe, to tell you the truth. And so they would just, they sort of said, my God, listen to him speak. He must be fine. I guess he knows what he's doing. And then they left me alone. <laughs> so it worked out really, really well for me. I did, That's not why I did it. I just wanted to learn the language. Um, but it really had, it played that role for me and sort of gave me a, a, a permission to be more myself in, in, in a way and not, not, and not worry so much about, you know, are you going to like me? Or are you going to think I know what I'm doing or not? <laughs> well, I, I really... Uh think it's fun to talk to you and fun to hear your stories. One of the things you talk about in your book is the the journey of discovery and how three aspects of life converge to create the magic. You have a Venn diagram in there. Tell us about that, about those three aspects and how they converge to create magic. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I, I love the magic stuff. Um, yeah. The, the three aspects are that mindful conversation really is an art it's a science, and it's also a way of being. Um, so it's, the science is the easiest to talk about, actually, the science, because it's pretty cut and dried. There are a certain number of tools and techniques, and you can learn them, and you can observe them, and you can say, well, you're using them or you're not using them. You know, it's, it's, it's that, and they're very, very important. I don't mean to diminish them in any way, but that, that is pretty clear. And you can, you know, you can say, I'll give you an A or a C or, or whatever on that. The art, of course, is more, um, what's the word, is more, uh, less specific. The art is, is having a feel for when to use a particular tool. Maybe I know how to use it, but it's not the right tool for right now, given what's going on. So it, it has a lot to do with, um, with, with timing. It has a lot to do with tuning into somebody else and using that to inform how we're going to connect. So it's not, I, I can't say here are the 15 different things you do because that's just not the nature of the beast. So that's, that's kind of about the art. Um, the way of being gets really to the mindfulness because um, mindfulness and conversation, it's not just a way of speaking, it's a way of being. It's who you are, it's what you believe in, it's what you're, what you're looking for. And I talk about there being four primary, the, the sort of model that informs uh, the mindfulness part of this is four very specific values, if you will. And that's what I call the care model. Um, 
And yeah, that was going to be my next question. So ah, I'm glad you well, went right ahead into the CARE model. Yeah, CARE is an acronym. is very clever. So tell us about the CARE model. It's an acronym. Yes, absolutely. And this, this, this is how this is what separates mindful conversation from so many other ways of speaking that really are just tools and techniques. And this is a lot of, about a lot more than that. there are tools and techniques, but it's about a lot more than that. And the CARE model is is sort of the essence of that. So the C-A-R-E, the word CARE, the acronym, so the C actually stands for curiosity. And it's coming from a place of wanting to explore, wanting to know, asking questions, delving, trying to really understand. And some people do that and a lot of people don't, unfortunately. Um, right. The A is for authenticity. Again, I can, I can try to project a certain image or I can just this is who I am. And there's a lot to that, but, but a, a, a large part of this kind of conversation is about showing up as authentically whoever you are. Um, and there are, you know, again, ways you can hide that or try, we all, you know, tell white lies and try to mask over a certain thing. I don't want you to know about that. So I'm going to cover that up. <laughs> so the A, so C's for curiosity, A for authenticity, the R is for respect. And by this, I mean that whether I like you or don't like you, agree with you or don't agree with you, I can talk in a way that respects who you are, you know. And a lot of the trouble that we get into conver in conversation is because I don't speak with respect, you know. Um, and we're all, you know, we're all a little bit worried about how we're going to come across. And if we're treated with respect, and there are a number of ways of doing that, then that just leads, even if we may be totally different or have nothing in common, just that really helps. And that leads right into empathy, which is, I think, the heart of the whole thing, actually. Being empathic, really picking up on where somebody else is coming from, trying to listen to them deeply, understand what's spoken and also what's not spoken, and... Um, really, really listening, deep listening, basically, is the essence of, of empathy. So, and those those four inform all of mindful conversation in my mind, no matter what we're doing, whether you're listening or speaking or what's going on, always that's that's the intent behind it. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that CARE acronym. I want to ask you about the topic of bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time. And uh, I just want to know if you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness maybe would have made a difference. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe it's a bullying situation from your childhood or your professional life. Do you have something you can share with us on that topic, Peter? Yeah, I do. Um it's actually, it's, a, it's a, a little story. I'll tell you a story. And I was not the subject of the bullying, but it's one that I got very close to. So in my coaching and consulting around mindful conversation, I worked in a lot of, a lot of different companies and government agencies and so forth. And I worked in a hospital. I worked there for about a year, actually. And I remember one day in, in particular, the medical uh, chief of staff came to me and he said, I want you to work with this particular doctor. He is our best orthopedic surgeon and we're having a terrible time with him. Mm. Patients, even patients don't want to see him. 
and nurses are refusing to work with him. I want you to help him. And I said, well, I don't know if I can help him or not. I, I'm happy to talk to him. So I met with him and we talked and you know, I tried to give my spiel about why I thought this was important. And I could tell he was just shining me on. You know, I'll, I was here before you came. I'll be here after you leave. I'll, I'll sit here and tolerate you, but you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so all the kind of coaching that I did, it just, it just didn't have any impact at all. This guy was a horror in the operating room, in the OR, where you need to work really closely together. You need to trust one another. You know, there isn't time for, for that kind of stuff. And he saw he was the king of the operating room and he want, and he was a horrible bully. And so I was about to give up. I thought, you know, I'm really so, and he was an excellent surgeon. That's the other part of this, that he really was a good surgeon. I mean, a good physical surgeon, the emotional aspects of it, um, not so much. Um, but I finally decided, okay, there's, I really can't, I can't change this guy. And I, you know, you can't change somebody else. But what I would like to do is to try to set up a time where I bring in some of the nurses and ask them to just tell what it's like um, to, to work with him and share their stories. So I asked around and a lot of the nurses said, oh, my God, I wouldn't do that. You know, wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. It's a career limiting move. And, you know, he's the doctor and I'm the nurse and, you know. But I finally found four nurses who, who um, agreed to come and, and talk with him. And so I set up some ground rules that this was not about agreement. You know, he could say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. They could say, you know, or think to him, you don't know what you're talking about. So we, we set up some, some ground rules to, to make it as safe as possible. And we had, uh, I will never forget it, just a really profound understanding because I got, I really encourage everybody don't respond. Just, I just want you to listen. And then I want you to repeat back what you heard. You can totally disagree with it. That's fine. It's, you know, this is not about agreement, but it's just about understanding. And so the meeting lasted about an hour and a half. And at the end of the meeting, I dismissed the, the, the nurses and I turned to him and, and, you know, said, so, well, you know, what do you think? And he just broke down in tears. Wow. And he said to me, I don't want to be that kind of man. I don't want to be that kind of doctor. Help me wow. change. And I just, I was so, so moved by that. I mean, this was a bully in to the nth degree. That's that was his persona. That's who he was. And because these four nurses had the courage to be vulnerable and to say, this is my experience when I'm around you, it changed that, that doctor's life. It changed his career. And um, so I, I just felt so profoundly grateful for what they had done. Um, yeah. Um, Bullying, and, and it's a, of course, that's an adult story, not a child story, but um, it's a tough one. And, and um, 
Yeah, what a powerful story that is. My gosh, that is incredible. So what was he like after that? Did you kind of follow what he was like and his relationships with the nurses and so on? How did it change? It changed enormously. Not not 100% perfect overnight. That's, that's a fantasy. But he really began working. We continued to work together, and I tried to help him out. Now that you're motivated, now that you... You know, you agree there's this problem and I do want to change. Okay, now we have a fertile field. We can we can plant some seeds. And he started practicing them and we would rehearse them and, and he would, you know, build up his mindful conversation skills, um, which he did. And he became, uh, I remember, in fact, I, I worked at that hospital for about another six months or so. And the chief of staff saying, you know, this guy has had a transformation. Nurses are now saying, yes, I want to work with him because he he knows what he's doing. He's a good doctor. I want to learn. I want to be there as opposed to I just won't set foot in that room with him. It's just that's not not in my interest to do that. I, I can't be there. So there was a huge, huge shift again, not, you know, wasn't perfect from from the get go. But we clearly made very, very significant progress. And I think it I is my interpretation, but I think it saved his career because even though he was a very good technical physician, surgeon, he was about to be fired because if no nurses will work with him, you can't work in the, in the OR. I mean, it's, it's over. There's just no hope. So it, it really shifted. Yeah. Yeah. What a powerful story. I want to ask you about some of the misconceptions about listening. Being a good listener, we know that's a part of communication, a huge part of it. What are some of the misconceptions, some of the ideas that some of us have about being a good listener that just simply are not true? All right. Well, here's the first one that comes to mind. So I teach a class on, on mindful. I'm teaching the process right now of, of teaching. It's all online. <clears throat> and the very first class, I was talking about mindful conversation and um, a man in the class said, well, this is all well and good for women, but guys talk differently. Okay, well, this to me is a huge red flag. And he said, you know, so how would you, how would you adapt this to men? And I said, I wouldn't adapt it to men. <laughs> you know, really, there's no difference. There, this is about person to person. I don't care, you know, your gender in the slightest. Um, and so one mindful, uh, so a, a, a misconception is that somehow we can't be vulnerable with another man. This is particularly man-to-man kind of stuff. We don't, we don't do that, you know. I got to be tough. You know, I, I, I'm not going to let you in to see what's really going on. No way. No, no, man, I don't do that. Um, so there, there, there's one huge misconception. I don't know whether you believe me or not. I'm hoping so. We'll, we'll see. Um, but... I, I think, I mean, that's a sad, um, you know, and I think a lot of us as boys, you know, we, we were raised kind of that way. And, we you know, that's where we learn to talk. We copy our parents and, you know, boys don't cry and, and boys can't be sensitive. That's not true. That's totally not true. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that's gotten us into a lot of trouble um, is closing off that side of, of, of men. <clears throat> so that's, that's a big one. Um, other misconceptions about listening. Um, well, I've, another one 
don't know if this is exactly a, a misconception, but I think it is. Um, some people think that good listening is about being a counselor or a therapist, not being a friend. And I think that's a really unfortunate misconception that, you know, the way to connect friend to friend is often through good listening. <clears throat> it's not exclusively about listening. The other half of the pie is speaking. And you get a chance, you know, it's, it's, you get a chance to speak as well. I'm not saying, hey, all you ought to do is listen. That, that would be a, a, a bad message to give, a really unfortunate one. And that's part of the art, is knowing when to listen, when to speak, how to go back and forth, how to do it in a way that, that you know, helps you connect. Um, so it's kind of finding parity between speaking and listening. But I think um, the essence of listening is that that is, it is good speaking actually rests on the shoulders of good listening. You know, it earns you the right then to be the speaker, to tell your story, what, whatever it is. Um, but if you, if that's all you can do and you never listen, then nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody, you know, it's, it's, it's no fun, you know, and there's so much of that. Um, so those are a couple of misconceptions I'd say about, about listening. Yeah. Thank you for that. As I mentioned, I really enjoyed your book. I enjoyed how approachable it was. It's filled with diagrams. It's filled with humor. It's filled with go-to what you need to do in order to make this happen. It's just really a great, uh, a great presentation. And I read the draft version that you had sent me. When does this come out? When do you expect this book will be published and available? Well, I'm hoping by the end of 2021. I'm just now submitting it to publishers. So, you know, who knows how quickly that process goes. And then there's many steps, you know, once once you, you uh, reach agreement with the publisher. So I would say uh, for, I wish I could say in a month or in a week, but that's mm -hmm. not the case. Um, so I I'm hoping by the end of this year, if not the end of this year, very early next year. Uh, and so in the meantime, we could read King of Doubt. Uh, who is the publisher of that book? That That is out. That's published by Wheatmark. Um, and it's um, it's out. It's available on Amazon and, and other places in paperback or Kindle or whatever, however you, you like to read. And um, some people told me it changed their lives. Um, and it's it's uh, people it's it's a serious book, but it also has a lot of humor in it. And people tell me it's quite a page turner. So if you're interested in, if you've suffered at all from imposter syndrome or self doubt, who among us hasn't in some way? I think. Well, I think most of us have, and I think the thing is sometimes we suffer from it, but we don't identify that that's what's happening. We don't realize, hey, that's imposter syndrome. That's what's going on here, because we honestly believe it. We honestly think, wow, I'm not qualified to do this thing. I got to get the hell out of here. Isn't that true that we honestly believe it sometimes? Oh, absolutely. I think if, if you didn't believe it, then it wouldn't be a problem. No, of course not. You're so convinced of it, you can barely even see it. I mean, that's, of course not. you know, but it, yet it, 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 it undermines you, you know, no matter what it is you're doing, if you really are struggling with that. And well, your website is petergib.org, and that's G-I-B-B, -B, two B's on the end of Gib, petergib.org. What would we do if we wanted to get in one of these courses that you teach? Is that possible? It is possible. I'm teaching. I'm not teaching because I'm sort of finishing. Well, the book is finished now, but I'm 
I'm still, you know, working on the publishing parts of it and things like that. So the only I'm teaching uh, right now only one class, but that occurs, you know, various times, and it's actually through an adult education program at Southern Oregon University. And if you go to O-L-L-I um, dot S-O-U dot E-D-U, um, the, the class that I'm in right now is full, but there will be another one starting in the spring. And mm -hmm. you'd be welcome to that. And I also do coaching on the side on, on, on this kind of topic and that kind of stuff. And, and please, you know, check out King of Doubt or, or whatever. But that the next class will be starting in the spring. And if you go to ollie.sou.edu and say you're interested in this class or, you know, you will be informed when, it, when, when, when registration opens. And I'll put that link in our show notes as well at mindfulnessmode.com, Mindful Tribe, so that you can get into a class of Peter's because that would be fantastic. But yeah, in the meantime, pick up King of Doubt. And I look forward to reading that book myself. I have not read that one. I was reading the other one, of course. So it's been really great having you here. I really appreciate this, this conversation because, as you say, I think that we really need to learn how to become more connected. I think we hunger for that. We really do, and, and especially during this pandemic. But at any time. What are your final words of wisdom for us, Peter, to kind of help us to learn how to be connected and move forward and have better relationships with each other? My final words of wisdom. It's possible. You can do it. You know, we, have, we all have a deep thriving to connect and to express. And frankly, it's not that hard. It's not that easy, and it takes courage. It does. It takes a willingness to put yourself out there. But I just guarantee if you try it and, you know, and be compassionate with yourself. If it doesn't work the first time, that's okay. Um, but, but give yourself a break. Uh, but keep trying it because it, it will open up. It will put you on a stage in life that maybe you've never been on before. It will help your social relationships. It'll help your professional relationships. You'll feel more alive. You'll feel more yourself. It's yours for the taking. Grab it. Thank you very much, Peter. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks yeah. for being on the show. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you so much. I totally enjoyed it. Real pleasure. Great. great. Bye now. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Hey, Erica, we really appreciate you, and Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer or a coach or a counselor or someone who just loves helping people, Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com.
And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks, maybe lose weight, maybe quit smoking, maybe it's something else, I would be so thrilled to work with you. And as you've already heard on the show, I'm doing an exciting new beta launch. I've got room for three people. So reach out to me. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk for a free short conversation about what I can do to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk. So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.